Amen. Good morning. We're so very glad to have each and every one of you here with us this morning. We want you to know, if you're visiting with us, that you're special to us, you're important, and uh, you're welcome here. We want to support you and be an encouragement to you in your walk with Christ. And the same is true for all of you who are members here. We're so very thankful for your dedication and your service and your love for God. And uh, again, we're always, we always want to be here for one another. Hall of Fame coach Dean Smith, who coached many great players in his time, including Michael Jordan, uh, he taught his players at the University of North Carolina how to get back up from mistakes. He said, you're going to make mistakes in life and in basketball. There's, there's no way to avoid it. But he would teach them, how do you get back up? How do you improve once you've made a mistake and gotten back up? And as much as we don't want mistakes to happen, as much as we regret them and we wish we could keep them from happening, they're going to happen. And so he decided he would help teach them, here's what you do when you blow it in a game or when you blow it in life. You know, there's times when uh, we blow it in real life. We miss the shot. We totally mess up. And we've got to figure out what are we going to do about it. How are we going to respond when we sin, when we fall short? And so Coach Smith would teach them how to deal with mistakes by teaching them to recognize, admit, learn from, and forget. Recognize, admit, learn from, and forget. And that's what we want to talk about today because those really uh, uh, have perfect application in our lives as Christians. So often we miss the shot, don't we? So often we, we just fumble the ball. So often we just blow it. We just totally run the wrong play. We just do it wrong. And we find ourselves falling again. We said we weren't going to do it again. We said this is the last time. We said we're done with that. And yet we find ourselves uh, messing up at the game of life, if you will, sinning again and falling short. But what's important is, although it's important to learn to not do that again and to continue to devote ourselves more and more to God, it's also important to learn, what do I do when I do mess up? How do I, how do I get back up and make improvements in my life? This is more than just self-help or self-improvement. Uh, this is about how do, how do I live a more devoted faithful life to God? And what is it that God would have me to do when I do fall short? So how can I get back up when I fall? Let's look at that first, that first uh, thought. First, we need to recognize it. That's the first thing we need to do. You can't do anything about anything unless you first recognize that there's a problem, right? If you don't recognize you ran that play wrong, then you, you can't figure out what to do to fix it. If you don't recognize sin in your life, then you can't do anything about it. But that's kind of a hard thing to do sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to even want to see it in our own lives to recognize it because we don't want to see it in ourselves. It's easier to just act like it's not even there. You know, you go into your house and you, you're there every day and you don't always see the, the dust and the dirt and the stuff on the floor or the the clothes or whatever, you get used to the dishes piled up, right? You get used to the things in the garage or the, what, the, the, the gra tall grass in the yard. And, and then you go visit someone else's house and you think, 
Well, wow, they, their house sure is nice. <laughs> you know, we get used to our own stuff. We don't even recognize it. We need to recognize uh, our own sin in our lives. It's easy to get stuck right there, but we can't let ourselves get stuck. Think about David. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. See, it's easy to recognize other people's faults in it. It's easy to recognize sin in their lives, right? We can see theirs and point theirs out really quickly. And we can say, I can't believe they would do something like that. And we, we assign to them poor intentions and bad motivations, but in our own life, it's merely a little faux pas that we have committed, right? That's all it is. We can explain it away, and it makes perfect sense in our minds. But look at David. He did the same thing. Here's what we read in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 6. We're just going to read verses 1 through 6. You can read the whole story there through 15. And then, and the Lord said to Nathan, sent Nathan to David, he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city. He tells them this parable, this story, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he, he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children, he used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Verse 4. Now there were a traveler to the rich man. There were a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because this thing he did, of this thing he did, and because he had no pity on him. David immediately saw the sin in someone else's life. He recognized their wrongdoing instantly, and he saw exactly what needed to happen. They should be put to death for their sin. That is until Nathan told him in verse 7, you are the man. And he didn't say that as a compliment. He said, you're the man. Because of what he had done, the sin he had committed with Bathsheba and Uriah. And God was using Nathan to point that out to David. The good thing is, is that as soon as, even though he had not wanted to recognize it, hopefully it was all done away with, brushed under the, you know, swept under the rug, no one was going to think about it. I took care of this. God pointed it out to him, but thankfully David then, when he was convicted, recognized it in his own life. And what did he say? He said, I have sinned against the Lord in verse number 13. See, that's what Jesus meant in Matthew 7, 3 when he asked the question, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? It's because it's easy to see everybody else's errors, everybody else's sins, and it's so much harder to see our own. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you can't judge something as wrong in someone else's life. 
He's saying you need, to, you need to examine your own life first, though, and recognize you've got sin, too. We talked about a lot of this in class this morning. It was very good, and uh, I'm appreciating and enjoying this series we're doing in class. I encourage everyone that can be here for our, all of our Bible classes. Do a great job. And uh, the discussion this morning has fit so well with what we're looking at uh, in our sermon. The next, next thing we need to do, we recognize it. Now we need to admit it. It can be hard enough to recognize it. And then once we recognize it, at least we know it's there. We've acknowledged it. But we can, don't even want to take the next step and admit it, right? And admit that we have some fault. We see it in the room of our life. We see it over there, but we just kind of hope it stays over there. But what we need to do with sin in order to get back up off the ground when we've fallen is we need to admit it. We would call that confessing in the church. We can be pretty good at covering up our own sins, as David tried to do. But what we need to do, instead of covering up, we need to uh, confess up to them, fess up to them. We need to admit that we've done it. John made it plain when he said what he said in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. Look there. John writes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we can't admit that we've sinned, we are deceived. We've deceived ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, however, confess, admit, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar. Who? God. Because God has said we've all sinned. That's why He sent His Son. So you're saying to God, if you don't admit you have sinned, you're saying to God, you lie, God. You're a liar to say that I have sinned. And of course, we know that's not true. And his word is not in us. So again, we see when we, can't, when we don't admit our own sin, the truth cannot be in us because we won't accept it in our lives. And when that's the case, we cannot have forgiveness with God. So to not admit our own sin, to not confess our own sin, to not acknowledge what, what we've done when we've fallen down and sinned again, and to deny that is to cut ourselves off from forgiveness. And yet that's what we really want is to be forgiven. You know the saying in schools that they use about bullying, if you see something, what? Say something, right? You see posters in schools. If you see something, say something. Well, in our Christian life, we can use the same thing. If we see something, we've acknowledged, we recognize it, acknowledge it in our life. We see that sin in our life. We need to say something. We need to admit it. We need to confess it, at least between us and God. Maybe you need to get with a brother or sister in Christ, one of our shepherds. Maybe sometimes you need to just come forward. You know, the invitation isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. And it's a tradition, but it's a good tradition. It's an opportunity for us to say, hey, I need your prayers. I need the prayers, the, the powerful prayers of the church in my life. And I don't have to tell you every dirty detail of my whole life, but I need to let you know that, that, that I'm trying to get back up. And I need your prayers. And maybe you need to go talk to somebody in particular about uh, more specific things. Uh, Peter said in Luke 5, 8, 
that we see, see, we see many examples of people who, who fell down, who acknowledged their own sin in their life. And in, in Luke 5, 8, Peter said this when he fell at Jesus' knees. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognized and admitted his own sin in his life. Paul said of himself that he was the worst or the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. The tax collector who was praying, if you remember Jesus told that story, he wouldn't even look up to God. But he beat his chest and he said, God be merciful to me, a sinner, Luke 18, 13. And then finally we see in the story of the prodigal son, we see this really beautifully illustrated. The prodigal son eventually admitted his own sin. He eventually recognized it in his own life, what he had done wrong. And he admitted it to himself, to God, and to his father. It took him a while, though, didn't it? It didn't have to take him a while. He didn't have to end up in the pig pen, did he? Eating, wanting to eat pig's food. He didn't even get to eat it. He wanted to eat it. He didn't have to end up there in his spiritual life. But that's where he ended up. And it's when he recognized and admitted he was able to turn things around. And in Luke 15, 18 through, 18 through 19, he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He just wanted to be back with his dad. He just wanted to be right with his dad again and back in the blessings of his household. James tells us in James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is working. You see, James is assuming that in a church context, we can confess to one another, whether that's publicly or to an individual. We can go to one another about the things we're going through. And he's assuming that that's not going to become uh, uh, material for gossip, that it's not going to become reason to judge the other person, but it's going to be a positive, encouraging, edifying experience where they now have other Christians who are praying for them because James says the prayer of a righteous person availeth much or is powerful. He's assuming that the Christians who learn about uh, the, uh, the sin in a person's life when they've come to them are righteous people, people of prayer, and that's exactly what they that person is going to get from them. Support in prayer from a righteous brother or sister. Next, we need to learn from our sin. You see, it's one thing to recognize and admit it, but are you just going to walk into that wall again? Are you just going to bump your head and bang your head again? Are you going to do the same thing over and over again? Or are you going to learn from it and make some changes in your life? Are you going to change your habits, your routines, your friends, maybe even your job? Are you going to do some things different to keep you from doing the same thing again? A team or an individual athlete can learn a lot from a loss, right? Oh, we, no one wants to lose, but when we, when we do lose, when we do 
you know, fall short of winning, getting the W, we can learn some things. We hate it. We don't like it. We wish we had the, we had the, the win instead of the loss. But we can do like teams do and individuals do. They can review the tape. They can watch and see some things that they maybe didn't realize happened in the game. They can listen to their coaches, tell them, here's what you need to do differently. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. Here's how they got the advantage over you. You can ask your play, uh, you know, your, on your, your teammates can give one another advice and help in different areas. Then we can get out there and we can practice more and practice better. See, we can learn from it. And sports is a great uh, way to illustrate these things because we get it in sports. We've got to do the same thing in our spiritual life. When we sin again, we have the opportunity to examine ourselves and figure out what happened Rewind the tape and find out, why, why did I do that again? Why did I do that in the first place? Why is this a problem? Play the tape. Talk to a coach. Ask your team, teammates, what's going on here? What do I need to change? And it's always an opportunity to grow and get back out there on the field and try to get that W. You see, another thing sin does is it, it reminds us of our frail, frailty, doesn't it? It reminds us of our brokenness. You know, when you always win, when a team always wins, they start thinking what? Nobody can beat us. We're perfect. We've got it all together. And we know that's not, that's not real life. But it seems to be that oftentimes, that's, as soon as they start thinking that, that's when they do what? They lose because they think they're un, undefeatable, right? In our own life, we can't go through life thinking that we're not sinning, that sin can't touch us, not me, everybody else, because as soon as we do that, pride comes before a what? A fall. We set ourselves up for the devil to take advantage of us. And so we need that reminder to learn from our sin, not to repeat it, but to learn, you know what? This reminds me what Jesus did for me. This reminds me how dependent I am on God. This reminds me to, to, to set my mind on things above. This reminds me to go deeper in my study, deeper in my prayer, deeper in my relationship with Christ because I need it. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. See, how can I learn and no longer be ignorant? How can I continue to learn and no longer be conformed to the passions of my former life? But as he who called you is holy, as we talked about in class this morning, you also be holy in your conduct. See, I've got to learn from my sin so that I can strive to be holy the way God has called me to holiness. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That goes all the way back to Leviticus. God wanted his people to be holy Will we ever fully attain that? Will we, will we ever reach in this lifetime perfection and sinlessness? We know the answer is we won't. 
But God says, here's the bar. Here's what I want you to strive for. Here's the goal line that I want you to run for and you don't stop running. If you trip and fall, if someone trips you, if you run over your own feet and fall, you get up and you start running again. That's what he wants for us. We won't ever reach the goal, but God has called us to run for it. Now, finally, we need to learn to forget it. And I think these are all hard because we don't even want to recognize it. We don't want to admit it. And learning from it is hard. Maybe that's an easier one for some. But forgetting about it? Are you kidding? We're, lots of people are haunted by the sins of their past. The things they regret, aren't they? They can't, think, they can't shake the thought of the things they've done wrong in their past. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was this morning. And we feel so guilty. We let Satan beat us up and hold us down because of sin in our life and, and the things we've been forgiven from. You see, what happens is we let our past hold us down and hold us back and then we never get to experience God working in our lives in the present and in the future. Because we keep ourselves locked in the past of our sins, the regret and the hurt that haunts us. And we're of no use to God, of no service to Him, like He wants us to be in the present and in the future. And that's not how God wants us to live. He gave His Son to forgive us of our sins. Think about it. Why does God tell us so many embarrassing details about people's lives in the Bible? Can you imagine being one of those people in the Bible and the, and the, the author of that letter just said all this about you? We would like try to get to the moon as quickly as possible. These are embarrassing things. You don't want anybody to know so many of these things that we read in the Bible. Paul is a really good example of this, isn't he? As much as we love Paul, poor Paul, his life is just laid open for us to look at. But that's a good thing. God gave us that for a reason because he knew we needed to see that in others to know that as bad as they messed up and God worked so powerfully through them, he can do the same thing in my life. Look at some things about Paul. In 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul tells us that before he was a Christian, he was a blasphemer of Jesus, a persecutor of the church, and was violent and aggressive towards Christians. In Acts 9.1, right before his conversion story on the road to Damascus, we're told, Luke tells us, he breathed out murderous threats against the disciples. That was right after Stephen was stoned and the church was scattered. And Paul's just getting ramped up, isn't he? He was Saul at the time, and he's just getting started. But that's right before he met Jesus. He, uh, he persecuted followers of Jesus. He recounts his own, his own testimony in Acts 22.4. He persecuted Christians to the death and put others in prison. Can you imagine the regret and the hurt that Paul felt every day of his life. Everywhere he went, especially until everybody realized he's changed, 
I mean, people were afraid of him. They said, isn't that the same guy that used to uh, put Christians to death and persecute us and throw us in jail? Isn't that him? That was his reputation. Can you imagine how he felt every day for the things that he had done, even though he knew God had forgiven him? It, it, it wouldn't have been uh, surprising to us to read a story about somebody like that only to find out that they were, they were uh, you know, in deep depression and that they were drowning in alcoholism. And we would say, well, we know it's not right, but we understand because of the past, the things they've done in their life. That's not what Paul did. He didn't. He didn't use those things to try to cope. He didn't let that happen to him. Instead, the only way he could cope is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. He learned how to cope with the things that he had done in his past and knowing who, who Christ had made him to be. And look what he wrote in, first, in Philippians 3, 12 through 15. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, see what a comforting thought to know that, that I'm going to make heaven my own. Because Jesus grabbed me and made me his own. And I can't believe he did that because he knew who I was before he picked me up off the ground. He knew what I did, all the things I did. He knew what I was on the road to do when he stopped me in Acts chapter 9. And because he grabbed my life and lifted me up, every time I fall down, I'm going to pick myself back up because of what Jesus has done for me. And I'm going to press on toward the goal line of heaven. He said, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If anybody was going to let his past hold him back, it would have been Paul for all the things he'd done. But he said, I've got to forget about it. I've got to put it behind me, and I've got to focus on what's ahead. The, the mission God has given me in this life and the goal of heaven to be with him forever, regardless of what I've done in the past. Verse 15, Paul writes, let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, what? The immature will still try to hold you down for your past, will still try to uh, make your past define your present and your future because of that sin and that mistake and what you did and where you went and who you were with and all of the bad dirt that they can dig up. And Paul's saying, uh-uh, you ain't holding me back. I'm going to live for God and I'm going to be in heaven forever and nothing's going to stop me. Look at what God does when he forgives. God does some amazing things when he forgives. And so we've got to quit let, letting the sins of our past and the sins of even the present uh, uh, stop us and hold us down and keep us from being who God wants us to be and doing the things that God wants us to do. Now, you've got you to gotta seek forgiveness. You've got to repent. You've got to turn your life around. You've got to get back up and say, ain't doing that again. You've got to repent to God and say, please forgive me. 
Okay, but you only get that when you're in Christ, when you're, when you're walking in the light as he is in the light. Then uh, the blood of Christ cleanses us. See, that's when we have forgiveness of sins, when we're made new in Christ. Look at what God does when he forgives. He covers our sin, Psalm 85 too. He casts our sin. Two different passages here about casting. In Isaiah 38, he casts our sin behind his back. And then in Micah 7, 19, he cast our sin into the depths of the sea. And then in Psalm 103, 12, he removes our transgressions from us. Isaiah 44, 22, he blots out our transgressions and sins. The Hebrew author tells us, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In Hebrews 8, 12. You see, when God forgives, He forgets. He erases it. He throws it away. Why? Because of the blood of Christ that cleanses us. That's the only way that that's possible. Because through the blood of Christ, through being united with Christ in baptism, is the only way we can have the blood of Christ washing away our sins and Christ standing between us and God as our mediator, as our advocate, saying He stands justified. He can stand before you in your presence. We had a good discussion about that in class this morning. You see, we have a hard time forgetting, though, don't we? We, we? we try, but as humans, we just can't quite forget everything that maybe someone has done to us or some of the things that we've done. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to work at that. God, help me to leave my past in the past. Help me to forget that and not let that continue to haunt me now and in the future. Help me to move forward in Christ and, and serve you and run towards that goal of heaven. That's what needs to be our prayer and our aim. Even though we can't forget it totally the way God can, we need to do like Paul and put the past in the past. And start living for God now. And then when we stumble and fall again, we scrape up our knees, we bang our face on the ground, we skin up our elbows, we get back up, and we, and we tell God, I did it again. Please forgive me. I want to be more devoted. I want to be more sincere, more, more faithful to you because of what you've done for me. And when you're in Christ and you've been baptized into him, raised to walk in newness of life, you have that forgiveness of sins. That continual forgiveness that comes through the blood of Christ. Can we help you this morning get up? Maybe you've fallen. Maybe you've been stumbling. Maybe you've been having a hard time moving forward in your relationship with God and running towards that goal of heaven and being vibrant in your faith. Maybe you hadn't even started running. And you've let the past hold you down. You've let the present hold you back from making that commitment to God, and you say, well, when I get things figured out in my life, when I get some things fixed, when I stop doing these things and get right, then I can turn to God. God says, you got it all wrong. Because you ain't never going to fix this. That's why I sent my son, so that he can. And that's why we surrender ourselves to God and fall at his mercy and fall at his grace, because he's the only one that can do anything about the sin in our lives. Can we help you this morning? Do you need to obey the gospel and become a New Testament Christian? Maybe you want to start studying about that. What does that mean 
Do I understand that? I want to start talking to somebody about that. Maybe you're ready to repent. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you're ready to turn your life around and start being faithful again. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.